Yinzers! Welcome to episode 23 of Yins Are Good, the podcast that shares your stories of times when someone changed you or changed your life for the better, when someone made your day, made you smile, helped you with your groceries. This podcast shares the good stuff that's going on out there and the good people who are making it so. I am your host, Tressa Glover, and I am so happy that you've tuned in to this episode. Actually, speaking of tuning in, I am really thrilled to say that our listenership is growing worldwide, my friends. Yinzers are everywhere. We have folks listening from Ireland, Germany, Canada, the Netherlands, Jamaica, Singapore, and Australia. Woohoo! So a special hello to you, our international Yinzers. I love it. But wherever you are, I hope that you are able to take some time for you today or tomorrow, but do something for you and remind yourself that you are awesome because you are. I also want to tell you about our time at the Bloomfield Saturday Market on June 5th. Ah, what a great time. First, thank you to the folks running the market, especially Abby and Julia, who were so kind and helpful. What a fabulous market, by the way. If you haven't gone, please do so. It's on, wait for it, Saturdays in, wait for it, Bloomfield the Bloomfield Saturday Market, 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. I met some really wonderful people. Well, we did. Don, that's right, the elusive Don DiGiulio was there with me. Um, But we met some really wonderful people, one of whom shared a story right there on the spot at our tent, which you'll be hearing a little later on in this episode. It was great getting to chat with people and connect and actually there's one connection in particular that you'll be hearing a lot more about in the coming weeks and months Ooh, that's what they call a teaser isn't it okay i'll just leave that right there but speaking of connections connect with us won't you please call us or email us to share your story 1-833-399-GOOD or, you know it, email yinsaregood at gmail.com. We got to keep the good stories, the good news going. And we're actually doing just that today by hearing from Tiffany S. Ward of the Pittsburgh Village Project, which is an outreach initiative uniting local individuals and organizations to provide pre-K through 12th grade students with equitable access to education through personalized community-inspired learning. It's so good. And Tiffany is just delightful. I had such a great time talking with her. And she and her colleagues have created something that's going to change kids' lives. And they are just getting started. So my chat with Tiffany is coming up for you. And Don makes his return to name that neighborhood. How will he fare, I wonder? No pressure, but as you may recall, Sarah went four for four last episode, so I think Don's feeling the heat, maybe. Just a little bit. 
Well, I think it's time we get to it all, yes? So let's do it. Let's get to the good stuff. Ooh, what do you think of that new music? That little interlude there. Serving as an intro to my intro of our listener's story. Uh, So, as I said, we were at the Bloomfield Saturday Market, and a couple came over and was asking about the podcast. And now I think I'll just tell you this now. She, they, live outside of Cleveland. That's all right. I'll give you a moment. We're going to power through anyway. But she originally, of course, is from Pittsburgh. And she and her husband love it here. And they were back in town for a wedding, for a family wedding. And as we were talking about the podcast, she said, oh, my gosh, okay, I have a story. I have to tell you this story because it's a great memory for me. But also it's about somebody who made so many people's lives better. So. Take a listen. So so I'll tell you my story. My name is Lauren, and my dad used to own clothing stores called London Dock. One was in Squirrel Hill. And Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers, was a good customer at the store. And he bought, in fact, all of the blazers and the ties that you saw in his show were from London Dock. And if you looked real closely, when he opened his closet, the hangers, the wooden hangers said London Dock on them. So I was probably either six or seven years old, and I had just come home from school, and my dad called my mom and said, you know, you have to bring Lauren up to the store. Fred Rogers is here. So we drove up to the store in Square Hill and I went running in. It was a long store and I went running in and my dad said, you know, Mr. Rogers is in the back. And I went running back and he was in the dressing room and I crawled under the dressing room and he was standing there in his boxer shorts and he put his hand on my head and he said, you know, it's really nice to meet you. And he opened the door. He said, you wait out here till I get dressed. So that's my Mr. Rogers story. That's an incredible story. Yes, it is. (laughs) So I'm not sure how many people know that story Mm -hmm. or have told that story, you know, heard it. But whenever we talk, I'm a teacher, so my the littlest ones, you know, love Mr. Rogers, and so I'll tell them the story, and they're like, "Oh, Mr. Rogers," and I'm like, "Yeah, Mr. Rogers." So it's a good story. Yes, it's amazing how he has transcended through generations because we grew up on him too. Well, you know, it's interesting because, as I said, I'm an educator. And I still go back and we still watch. Now you can watch everything on YouTube. So we watch those on YouTube and just the messages and, and the topics that he he tackled when they were not politically appropriate or culturally relevant. And now they are, right? And you go back and you say, wow, look at how he did this with sensitivity and with care in a way that kids could understand no matter how difficult the topics were or scary. He always, he always you know, covered them. So amazing man. Yeah. <laughs> oh, how I love that story. And also, so we're learning, maybe some of you knew, but um, London Dock being the one that provided his ties and such. And I guess we got to go YouTube, see if we can zoom in and see if we can read London Dock on the hangers there. But I just love that story about such a wonderful, generous man. And I'm so happy that Lauren and her husband stopped and chatted with us for several minutes. And so we got to meet. And so it wasn't only to hear that story, but to get to talk with them for a while and learn about them. So Lauren, thank you. 
And to Mr. Rogers, everyone, say it with me. Yins are good. Hi, Tressa. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Great. I'm so excited to be here with you. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited to talk to you. This is great. And again, thank you so much for coming on and and wanting to share your story and the story of the Pittsburgh Village Project. Of course. So why don't we, if we want to start with, if, if you could, please, you know, tell us what is the mission of the Pittsburgh Village Project? Yes, absolutely. So um, Pittsburgh Village Project, first off, the name came about because I was just thinking about, so so by day, and I guess at all times, I am in education. So I am, I've been a teacher, I'm an instructional coach, um, have done both. And so I have just an understanding that in Pittsburgh, there's already just a huge dedication to educational equity, just um, in terms of all of the nonprofits and all of the work that the public and charter schools are doing just to achieve this, the organizations and the humans are out there. And so um, I was thinking I really wanted to create something that really united all of the work that's already being done to just to mobilize it a little bit better for our students. So um, so that's where the name came from, kind of the thinking about it takes a village to raise up a child. So here, um, that's where the name, the Pittsburgh Village Project came from. So um, overall, the mission, I got this straight off of the website, which is funny as if I didn't like write what was on the website. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, hmm, I need to go look it up. <laughs> but so it is um, to unite local organizations to provide students with access to education through personalized community inspired learning. So um, right now, I guess I could say, so the, the overall mission is to sort of unite organizations, but it also comes with uniting students and people together as well. I think one thing it originally kind of bore out of COVID, actually. I had I had these ideas for a long time in my mind, actually on my phone. I had a list on, I have Google Keep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have those notes on my phone and I've, I've had it, the ideas for a while, probably Um, I would say maybe like, I think I've had them since 2018 and I wanted to create something that um, would allow students to engage with um, like project-based learning, which I'm really passionate about and maker learning, just giving students the opportunity to create. I think one thing, so for, for two years or so before COVID, I had these ideas and I'm like, there's no real, I I don't understand like what I'm writing. I had all of these ideas and I didn't really have, they didn't really make sense until COVID hit. And it really started to highlight some of the educational inequities that are still persisting. Unfortunately, you know, you saw a lot of students that were really struggling despite every district's best effort to make sure that students had some type of access, even if it wasn't technology, there was just a lot being lost. And that was across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, I really started thinking, you know, this would be a great opportunity for students to, you know, learn learn where they are. But then once m- greater access started to come about, I started thinking, you know, what if students had this opportunity to collaborate 
across school districts or across neighborhoods. It's something that you don't actually see very often and something that I'm really aspiring to is helping students, you know, across racial groups and genders and socioeconomic status to be able to collaborate on some of these things because, you know, all students want to learn. They all have questions. They want to better their world through the education that they receive. So just wanting to set that up has been, is kind of like a forward thinking long-term dream that I have. It makes such sense to try to bring all of those students together. Could you also tell us a little bit about you? Yes. So it's funny because I was thinking, I was like, oh, I'm not originally from Pittsburgh. So I wonder if this is cheating. But <laughs> so I actually, I did. I've been here for a very long time. I started, I came to Pittsburgh to go to Pitt, actually, in 2006. So it's been some time. It's, it's strange to think that it's been that long because it still feels very new to me, but it's not. <laughs> it's funny how that works. I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think, let's see, 2006, we'll allow it. That's like 15 years. <laughs> I think, I think that's enough time. It's really great to be here. And I, it, it was random. It was totally random, my decision to come here. I picked Pennsylvania to go to college because when I was little, there was, um, you know, you had the, you used to have like those map tests, like you had those geography tests where you had to fill in um yeah they gave us like the u.s map and you had to like write in the names of all the states oh yeah yeah sorry yes yeah yeah so i remember specifically i really liked pennsylvania because it was a box so i I was like that's always like the easy state to fill out so um when i was picking i just picked very random places as potential locations to attend college and I was like you know Pittsburgh seems pretty cool so I just remember the first time falling in love with the city my mom uh, came with me and we had gotten off the airplane we rented a car and we were driving through um, the Fort Pitt tunnels and you know how beautiful the view is when you come out of there oh yes and so it was like beautiful out and it's just you have the buildings and the bridges and I remember my mom and I just went whoa so I have fell in love with it since then I love the people I started teaching in 2011 in the north side which has a huge spot in my heart I'm actually back in the north side working now um, by day but um, I do love Pittsburgh I love the people there's just like a very genuine humility about the people here yeah. yeah, so so that's how I got here. Again, I'm saying so as far as education goes, I started in college with the Jump Start program. And there was a literal sign. It was like, well, you know, one of those signs that's on um, like a tree or something in college. And they were talking about just the difference in the amount of words that students know by the time they're like, I don't know, two or three years old and how your race and your socioeconomic status has a big impact on that. And I just, I I don't know, I never realized that. I wasn't thinking about it, but I was like, you know, that's really unfair. Hmm. So that's what drove me. I actually, when I came to Pitt, my original intent was to go to school for, um, for medicine, but I quickly switched just after seeing that sign just really wanted to see what I could do to help. So that's where it started. 
And so several years later, you know, working in schools, just really loving it, loving the parents and the students and the teachers that I worked with and the administrators, um, there's just so much that's still missing. And again, you know, COVID really brought that out. We have a lot of students that are, uh, are still just really struggling and were struggling before the pandemic. And, you know, certain districts were able to keep going without, without missing a beat, but it's still, you know, everyone everywhere is still really struggling. But those students that didn't have technology and didn't have that access, it just really was heartbreaking for, for everyone across the board. So um, for me, starting the project was about just at first, it was just about getting students to learn something. Hmm. So what was really awesome is um, my mom had called me sometime during, um, it was right at the start of the pandemic. We just went on lockdown and I always need to be doing something. So I was like, I got to do something. There's all these kids out there that don't have <laughs> anything. We need something to do. So she called me and she's actually outside of Chicago. And she said that she started putting together art kits for students for Head Start students because she does a lot of work with early childhood. So I was like, oh, that's it. So all these ideas that I had in my phone, all of these thoughts that I, that didn't really make any sense at first, just sort of clicked in that moment. I was like, I want to deliver, I want to just start by delivering something. And what happened was I, I reached out to a couple of different organizations. I was able to get plants from Phipps and Grow Pittsburgh. They were incredibly generous just right at the start. And I had so many things that I was able to get. So um, came up with a couple of different activities that kids could do at home. It was really simple, nothing real fancy, but little project-based things or, or maker things that kids could just do at home to explore plants and nature in their community and within their own household so that people could see, students and families could see that you can learn right where you are. What a simple statement, but it is so important and something that we don't, that isn't, I think, in the front of our brains all the time. So what are some other, I know that the Pittsburgh Village Project actually has quite a few initiatives currently going on. Um, Do you want to tell us about those? Yeah, absolutely. So This project overall, it's kind of like an umbrella and everything has been highly collaborative. It's not, you know, it's nothing that's about me, but it's all about um, just all of the people who have just quickly come together. Like I had mentioned before, there are just a lot of organizations and individuals that are already just so dedicated to establishing this idea of equity for all students. So it's been about just bringing these groups together so that we could advance the learning and just kind of mobilize for greater impact. So one of those, um, it's a co-founded project. So it's not just me, it's myself and four other educators, local educators who um, all feel passionately just about issues of race and gender and socioeconomic status and ability groups, um, just all of all of the things. Mm-hmm. So we really wanted to come up with a project that would help with building a curriculum that could be used in homes or schools or in out-of-school time places, just in, in anyone who educates and anyone who wants to learn in any capacity for students. We wanted to come up with a curriculum that would help address some of these topics that sometimes can feel very uncomfortable either for teachers to teach or for 
um, students to learn about and but but you know so desperately need to be discussed just so that everyone can build just greater empathy towards one another like we're not all the same we want to be able to foster this idea of empathy and so the project is called intersectional justice squad and before we create any resources because there's already just countless curriculum and resources and materials that are already out there we really wanted to personalize it to the people of Pittsburgh mm. So we have, we created surveys and um, we're in the process of receiving that feedback from teachers, from students, from families. We just really want to hear what what the people are actually looking for. Um, just so again, it is personalized and it gives people the opportunity to think about, you know, how do we want these topics taught or addressed in schools? How can we allow students and families to tell their stories in ways that are empowering? How can we engage the community with project-based learning that really helps propel us forward as a society? So it's been a very exciting project and it's just awesome being able to, uh, I feel like I've met more people in this pandemic than, <laughs> than we would have being allowed out into the world during this time. Um, but all of them are just incredibly talented educators in their um, in their respective networks. And I'm just incredibly fortunate to have been connected with each of them. Um, so, so that's one of the projects right now is just kind of we're in the phase of waiting to receive this feedback. So for any of our listeners uh, who are interested in eventually, or if, you know, any current you know, curriculum may have, if they are interested in gaining access to that or just learning more about it, how can they do that? Oh, yes. So currently right now, so for the Intersectional Justice Squad project, we actually do have the surveys posted right now. Um, they are on our Instagram, our developing, our very developing Instagram page. <laughs> it, is, um, it is at ijs.pgh. And so they, we do have a link tree that's posted there and, um, and that has surveys just for, for everyone. We have one for caregivers and families one for students, and then another that is for educators. And so just, yeah, so that's that's where those are. Um, it, so right now we have the Instagram page where we're just kind of making our connections with the community and that'll continue to develop over time. Oh, perfect. So ijs.pgh. So that's one of them. And then the second one is um, I have a, I actually, I have two, colleagues and friends of mine that I have known actually for a very long time and we all got reconnected through um, one of our friends. She has an LLC called Strong Ambitious Women and she is currently, she has opened a new it's a new, it's an after, it will be a before and after school program during the school year starting in the fall but we're piloting a summer program together and so it's her and then another um, teacher and friend that I've worked with who has started um, just kind of her own project um, it's it looks like it's spelled kindergarten but it's like kind R like Toys R Us garden we want to create a curriculum we're currently writing it right now for the summer program to pilot we've named it flourish ed you know out of that idea of just wanting to help students grow and thrive again, right where they are in their communities, but to, to just sort of bring a renewed 
passion to learning. I think that after this, you know, after this pandemic, it was a very unique year, mm-hmm. but it was very disheartening for a lot of students and families and, and educators as well. You know, sitting behind a computer is just very, it's very, very different. And mm-hmm. so we want to bring sort of a revitalization. I'm kind of imagining um, just like pouring water on plants. <laughs> uh, that's exactly, I was going to say, I love that flourish, Ed. I mean, because it does, it gives you that visual. And it is true. This, I mean, it, it, this past over a year, how challenging it's been for everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, but really, students feel too how we all are relearning things a bit, even just socialization or, you know, yeah. like, oh, right. What's it like to be in a room full of people again? And how do, how do we do that? So let alone something as uh, integral and as important as learning. And then how to get back into that. And, and as you're saying, renew that passion for it. I love that. Yeah, yes. And like you were saying, that socialization piece, mm-hmm. that's where we're starting, essentially. Because I know that I certainly have, like, habits coming out of the pandemic where I'm like, oh, I probably shouldn't do that. Like, I was, so for instance, real quick, I was at Giant Eagle the other day. And, um, and there was, like, a song that came on. So I'm, like, naturally just dancing in the aisle because I've been doing that in my house for a year. So, <laughs> right? like, oh, that might be socially unacceptable so, <laughs> so, I'm like well we'll probably have to do the same thing alongside students I say alongside because I've also lost several social skills so, <laughs> so, oh my gosh we'll that's true yep so we'll be focusing a lot on um, just like the social emotional learning piece and um, it's going, it's a project-based curriculum that the three of us are developing together. And so the overall driving question, it's very general, but it's open-ended on purpose. And so we wanted the students to answer the question, how can I flourish to be my highest and brightest self this summer? And that's it. Hmm. So, um, yeah, so there's a lot of goal setting, a lot of creating, a lot of, and we want the students to have the opportunity to think about who they are, what they love about themselves, what they value about themselves, what goals they have for themselves and for ourselves as a community and to see themselves as an integral part of, again, learning and making a difference wherever they live with whatever it is that they care about. So I think that's why we left it so open-ended because we wanted to, we wanted, we want the students to be able to, like we wanted some structure to the project, but we also wanted to leave enough open-endedness so that we could reach the community so that the parents and families and caregivers could give their input as far as what they want, how they want to impact their community. So like allowing them to ask questions and wonder about the world in a way that they feel like will help them to flourish and thrive the best. So it seems very, it's very open-ended kind of like, it might seem like, uh, I don't know, like like utopian <laughs> sort of learning, but <laughs> that's what we want it to be. We just want people in the, the students that come over the summer to to see that they are kind of like the writers and the dreamers of their own future and can kind of put the puzzle pieces together to determine what it is that they really feel passionate about and what and how they can actually use the things that they're learning in school plus the things that they might be learning at home or at an after-school program or there's just so many opportunities for learning to happen everywhere we want students to be challenged with knowing that they can use all of the information that they have learned 
everywhere to make a difference. Now, when you mentioned when they come, so this is an in-person situation? Yes. Or, okay. And is this something if, if there are listeners who are thinking, ooh, could my child get involved with this? Is it, could it be open in that way? Or at this point, is mm-hmm. it because it's a smaller group? Or you do already have the, the students who, are, who will be involved? So we have some actually for our for our summer program that is filling up. There's actually a um, we actually we're, we're almost I think we're almost close. We might be close to capacity for the summer. But if there are a few who are interested, that would be um, really awesome for the school year. And that is actually going to be happening um, with one of one of our colleagues. She is the one who owns um, the Safe Center, which is actually located in the West End. Mm-hmm. And they'll be able to find information about that either on um, my website or her website. She is um, on Instagram. She is at Strong Ambitious Women. And um, that would probably be the easiest place to get information. And then um, and then there will also be information posted on my website as well. So that is um, pghvillageproject.org. You know, each of us are super passionate about just wanting it to be a group of students that are that are just diverse in terms of race and socioeconomic status and all of that. Like we want we just want kids to feel welcome and be able to collaborate in a space because that doesn't always happen, especially within school districts. That, yeah, yeah. That can be very separated, like either by race or by socioeconomics. Um, mm-hmm. So we, just, we really want it to be a space where kids can come together because I mean, as, as adults, that's what we do. You work with different types of humans. You have to be able to do that. And so, um, and I think that kids are even more magical than adults when it comes to wanting to learn about people who are not like them. So mm-hmm. I'm like, we're just going to let them put them in a space and let them thrive together <laughs> and yes. not put a cap on their creativity <laughs> or their questions. And if they ask something that's uncomfortable, great. Because I think that's one thing we do as a society is get comfortable with being more uncomfortable together. And kids are often okay with that. <laughs> like, yeah. like adults make everything weird. Why do we do this? <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. Cause kids will ask the questions they'll ask. Yeah. And they'll, and yes, it gets uncomfortable and they're kind of like, okay, but you know, tell me let's, more. Let's, yeah. sing. let's keep talking about it. I'm not going to stop asking. Exactly. Yes. So we want them to be able to do that. And so our hope is for, um, you know, we'll definitely have more information on the websites and on social media um, just for people to be able to sign up because we would love to have that. And we really want the programming to be very unique. So is there anything maybe from this first year of, of all of this for you? I don't know, maybe a, an interaction you had or a story or a conversation with someone that, that really made you think, yeah, this is where, this is the right thing to be doing, or I'm, I'm right. I'm where I need to be. And I love what I'm doing. Yeah, I think there's been so many moments. I wish I could narrow it down just to one story, but I think almost, I mean, every, every single moment from just from when I started it, like I just started like emailing places and I'm like, who can help me get stuff out to students? Like who can do this for me? Um, And it was just, it was almost easy. Like I had Mm. organizations who were like, oh, yep, we'll give you this. Um, Or, and so, and so I was able to do that and then just printing stuff out and then people were giving supplies and just, I, my, my eighth grade teacher, 
from um, from elementary school. She was my history and social studies teacher. Like, sent me money. Like, <laughs> oh my gosh. I was like, oh my goodness. I'm like, it's been years since eighth grade, and she's all the way outside of Chicago, and was like, hey, tell me more about this project. Like, I'm gonna send you some stuff. <laughs> and um, so that was just really special to have my own teacher from when I was a kid, just just encouraging me and. You know, just having family and friends and being reconnected with people that I've known before and having um, and just getting the opportunity to know, to just get to know so many people. There's one person that I had actually met. It was like the day that schools had shut down. And so there were a bunch of teachers from um, from various schools and we were all kind of just out together. So I met this one person and and had like a really great conversation with them. And, and then it turns out I saw them again when I was um, working with, I got, I got the opportunity to talk with Heinz fellows at Pitt about the program. Mm. So I saw person again and I was like, oh my goodness, this is just so confirming and having people just believe in the project and the mission behind it and want to collaborate on and just wanting to collaborate together and believe in this thing that I'm and half the time I'm like I don't even know what it is like I'm still trying to figure this out for myself like I've read it by my husband who's also an educator and I was like does this make sense and he's like yes and I'm like are you sure it makes sense and he's like yes absolutely and he'll definitely tell me the truth which is great and so helpful but you know when I when I've been describing just the concept it still just seems very um I'm still trying to put it all together but I've been I feel like I've been given all of the pieces of the puzzle that's another hobby that I picked up over quarantine is puzzles but I'm very good good. (laughs) so I'm seeing just the pieces like the humans the resources the ideas like they're there it's just about putting them together in a cohesive way so still doing that I think it's going to be an ongoing process and just just being provided, just this idea of provision and being provided with everything and everybody that I have needed so far. And just looking at the missions of different organizations within Pittsburgh that are already doing this work is so awesome. Nonprofits upon nonprofits upon teachers and administrators, there are just so many people who are really on the same page. And so this just feels like, it feels like the perfect city to do this. You know, every day I feel like I hear something on um, WESA where they're talking about something cool that somebody's doing. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. This is yes. <laughs> just so many great things that are already happening. And I just feel honored to even to even be a part of it as this person who's not even, you know, originally born here. It's like it just makes I want other people to look at Pittsburgh and say, oh, yeah, they're doing it right. We're honored to have you here. Everything that you're bringing that's so needed, as well as just bringing people together who aren't always brought together. Mm-hmm. And that's just, we need so much more of that. And so we're lucky to have you here. We're lucky that you like that we were a square on the oh. <laughs> And that's, that's what first piqued your interest. We'll take it, whatever way. Yeah. And then, you know what? The people held me. They did. <laughs> there you go. I just remember this one. I like, I love your show title. And I just remember the first time I came here, people were telling me about Pittsburghese 
And I was like, oh, what is that? Like, I just, I love places and I love like antics of humans in different places. And so um, someone was like, oh, you know, the word yins is used often. And I'm like, what does it even mean? So um, <laughs> I heard it in context. It was actually one of my first jobs in college. I was working at a preschool and I was uh, waiting on the 51C to come. And one of the women in the neighborhood was talking to my teammate and I, and she's like, yins guys going down the hill? <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, I heard it. They do say it. <laughs> and I just like love this woman, but she is like the very essence. And I don't, I don't even know where she went, but like she was like the very essence of like kind, friendly, humble Pittsburgh people that just want to talk to you at the bus stop. Like, yes. And I'm just, I don't know. I'm, I feel honored to even be a part of the things that are going on in Pittsburgh because it's honestly, it's all already here. Um, so it's just, I'm, I'm honored to feel like I'm, I can, um, you know, just work alongside everyone who's already making these really magical things happen for students. Hmm. Well, thank you. And if, again, if any of our listeners, if they're thinking, can I help the Pittsburgh Village Project out, you know, do they need volunteers or can I donate, you know, resources, would they go to your website as well or, or how, what's yeah. the best way to reach out? Yeah. So on the website or my email, um, it's the same. It's pghvillageproject at gmail.com. I'm, um, you know, always willing to just talk with people, even if it's just like a, a quick conversation about, you know, how are they feel like, if, even if they just want to tell me like how they feel about their kids' education, like, please open up. Like I would love yeah. to. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that, you know, I have, I have some resources actually that I came up with last summer just to share with families and, and that's on the website under initiatives. Um, there also, there's a how to help button. Yeah, we, I mean, we have, um, you know, supply lists of things that we could use for during the school year, but, but yeah, so that, that how to help button is, 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 I think it's all the way at the bottom of the homepage. Yeah. So all of that is, is on the website and, and I just, you know, we're happy to hear from as many people as possible because um, yeah, this is for, this is for the community. It's for the city. So. And we thank you. And thank you. Thank for you. Chatting. Oh my gosh. Thank you for real. Like, yeah, it's, it's not about me. I I'm thanking all the people who are already out there and you and just for highlighting all the good, we don't have enough good stories out there. So, so truly thank you for highlighting all of these happy things. Well, hello there, Don. Hi, Tressa. <laughs> well, 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 you're back. I am back. And uh, for your loyal listeners out there, yes. I want them to know that uh, I'm not just a guest on Name That Neighborhood. I'm also a listener of this podcast. So I'd like to take a moment now to do one of your, um, fill, in, your fill in the blanks. Really? Yeah. I, I wasn't sure what way that was going to go. So Yeah. We'll start with oh. a high note. Uh, okay. So I want to thank Sarah for participating in Name That Neighborhood on your last episode, and most importantly, for her sound effects that I heard live on the air. Um, <laughs> I, I really need to step up my game, it seems. Yeah, and, I'm and glad I, you I, said it, because, yeah. And as yeah. you know, I'm a mm. fan of sound effects. Um, <laughs> yes, uh, you are. Yeah. Uh, and we should, should we share with the listener the... One particular sound effect? Um, uh, sure. I think we lost the one word there, but I think you said the challenge that I have. 
Yeah, the challenge that Tressa has with uh, one particular sound effect that she had to do for a show at mm. one point in life uh, was a machine gun sound. <laughs> like... And uh, Tressa's version of a machine gun sound goes something like this. Um, so there, there, there we go. That's. Oh boy, am I glad? Am I glad you're on this episode? I'm really glad you're here. here. So great. That is true. Yeah. Also. Oh, good. He's still going. I'm still going. I told you I was going to start on a high note. You missed me. Um, (laughs) I'm going to take a moment to fact check you from the last episode as well. Oh, no. When uh, you revealed or shared uh, Lynn, I believe was the name, and uh, remembered a chocolate malted. Yes. And you, you said you never had one. That's yes. a bold, bold-faced lie. <gasps> you've, you've had one when we lived in Chicago. When did I have one? It was a little corner uh, shop. It was like um, a sandwich shop. They made the best grilled cheeses and tomato soup. But they also yeah. was like an old timey ice cream, and they did like chocolate malteds. I don't remember yes. the na- name of the place. It was on Broadway. I can see it. Mm-hmm. I had one there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I believe you. I I I do believe you. And well, I guess I, I'll have to have another because it hasn't stuck with me. It did clearly didn't clearly stick did. with me. Yeah. I figured this would my chance to return the favor of providing you with statements of fact. <laughs> that is well played. Mm-hmm. Well played to Julio. Okay. I mean, should we even play? I, I feel I, like that's I, a, I, it was a mic drop moment for you. Sure. This right here. This is the show. <laughs> this is the show. <laughs> I can't believe I had a malted. All right. Well, thank you so much for fact checking. Really. Of Appreciate that. And genuinely thanks, Sarah. You were great last episode. She was, wasn't she? That was so yeah. fun. I have large shoes to fill. You do indeed. So here are the neighborhoods, if you're curious. Always. Uh-huh. You are selecting from Squirrel Hill mm-hmm. and the West End. Okay. And Squirrel Hill has been a player before. Sure. I remember the Hill of Squirrels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Well, are you, are you ready then, sir? As I'll ever be. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it then. Number one. The first modern settlement in this neighborhood was an area called Somerset, with a house built there by Colonel James Byrd. Hmm. Well, uh, let's just let's go for it. Uh, the West End. Oh no! All right. Oh no! It's like ripping the Band-Aid off, though. It is. Yeah. And that is tough. I yeah. Somerset, okay. then, then you had me thinking of Somerset. I know. It's own place. It is. It is indeed. Mm-hmm. So, it is Squirrel Hill. So, Colonel Bird, spelled B-U-R-D. Also, Bird, not a squirrel. Pointing that out. 
Okay, give me one second to jot that down. <laughs> Colonel Bird was born outside of Edinburgh, Scotland. Mm-hmm. And he actually went on to marry the only daughter of Edward Shippen, Esquire, the founder of Shippensburg, Pennsylvania. Oh. It's true. So, yeah, so from Scotland, he was a soldier stationed here at Fort Pitt in the 1760s. And he built the first log house in the Hill of Squirrels in 1760 in that area that was known as Somerset. Now, spelled differently than the Somerset you're thinking of further east on the turnpike, uh-huh. it's spelled summer, like the season, and then set. Okay. And so that area that we're talking about is where it's the area where there's the modern housing development now called Somerset at Frick Park. Huh. Now, unfortunately, that house is no longer standing, but the second home ever built in the Hill of Squirrels, also in the 1760s, is still standing in Shenley Park and was built by Ambrose Newton. Hmm. So there you have it. You don't hear the name Ambrose too you often don't. anymore. Let's bring that back. Yeah. Let's see what we can do. <laughs> okay. It's all right. You're shaking some dust off. Yeah, I'm rusty. That's all right. And there was a lot of pressure. Thanks, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> Number two. In 1797, Colonel James O'Hara and Major Isaac Craig erected the first successful glassworks in Pittsburgh in this neighborhood the west end ding 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 you are correct Woo-hoo. and did you notice the new sound <laughs> for being well, correct i'm i'm certainly glad i gave her the shout out before it started i know <laughs> i know that's awesome so there it is that is sarah and her ding 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 dings it's a, a constant reminder now that she got more right than I did. <laughs> yeah, that's the truth. Mm-hmm. That's the truth. Because, see, she didn't get any wrong. So her wrong sound, yeah. you know, she did it the one time in the beginning, but it wasn't, right. you know, couldn't really isolate <clears throat> it. So because, again, she got them all right. Sure. So this, so what, when mm-hmm. you're playing her ding, 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 what mm-hmm. I'm hearing is, you'll never be as good as me. <laughs> Don, you are such a trooper for doing this. You know, so many episodes now. I try. But hey, you got this one right. So let's ride with that one. It is, in fact, the West End. So here we go. Colonel James O'Hara and Major Isaac Craig, along with the assistance of Peter William Eichbaum, who Eichbaum was considered a master workman in glass. So... This glassworks that they constructed was on South Main Street between Alexander Street and what is now Sanctus Street. And um, besides being the first successful glassmakers in Pittsburgh, they were also the first in the U.S. to use coal as fuel in the glassmaking process. Hmm. Uh, Their company was called Pittsburgh Glassworks. And that, at the time, was Pittsburgh without the H because... We'll go on a little tangent here, but in the late 1800s, 
um, this was across the nation. The, <laughs> the whomever the powers that be decided that they wanted consistency in the spelling of places, and and one of those things was any town, any city that ended in Berg, had to end with a G. They didn't want any of these pesky H's. <laughs> so Pittsburgh, its H was taken off, but many in Pittsburgh resisted, and a lot of it was because the first European settlers here were the Scots-Irish. And so even when I was talking about our fella over in Squirrel Hill, right, who was from Edinburgh, mm -hmm. so it is spelled Berg like Pittsburgh, Edinburgh is, but they pronounce it Edinburgh, right? So Pittsburgh, with that H, was actually, you know, a nod to that. And so this all led up to, in 1911, we actually appealed it and won our H back. Wow. My goodness. That's a lot of work for an H. <laughs> Isn't it, though? Considering yeah. you don't even pronounce it. I know. We're not even... We're, we're still ending on the G. So, also during this time, though, and a lot of people, you know, you may not realize this, but Pittsburgh was known as America's glass city. This was before we made iron, before we made steel. For example, in 1870, half of all the glass in the country was being made right here in Pittsburgh. Wow. It is true. That's crazy. It is crazy. You know, it's not crazy. You got hmm. that one. Hey. You got that one. Let's go for third. Oh, there are five, by the way. Oh, good. Add another one. <laughs> <laughs> I just decided I'm just going to say something. Sure. Okay. Number three. This neighborhood was originally named Temperanceville and was founded as a dry town. Temperanceville? Hmm. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> was that almost um, a Scooby-Doo situation? Sure. That was modified. Let's go back to, let's go to Squirrel Hill. Oh, no. Mm. These are tough, though. Yeah. I know. I know. And which is, it's all about the learning, Don. Sure. It's all about the learning. So it's the West End. And and I got to give a shout out here to Catherine Bashar. And she has a blog, CatherineBashar.com, which is where I pulled a lot of this information for Temperanceville because, there, you know, it was tough to find a lot of it. So here's how the story goes. All right. So there was a fellow by the name of West Elliott. And yes, that is actually... Uh, the Elliot that the neighborhood of Elliot in Pittsburgh is named after for his family. And he owned, because that's over there, right, in West End. He owned a whole lot of land in that area, but he was also a gambler. And in 1835, he sold the land that included the West End, as we know it today, to pay off some gambling debts. And the new landowners, Isaac Warden and John Alexander, laid out this town of Temperanceville. So apparently the deeds to all of the lots said that that well there was a clause stipulating that no liquor may be sold on the, this parcel of land or it would revert back to warden and alexander but by the mid-1800s there were several saloons flourishing there so who knows hmm. it wasn't a really great neighborhood to live in at that time the town flooded a lot um, you know, it's right on the water there. Also, at the time, the streets were all still made of dirt. 
So they were basically just rivers of mud, uh, you know, when there would be heavy rains. Um, so not so, a great... So, yeah. not a dry town. Oh, boy. Just saying. Where's the silent H in Temperanceville? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Wherever you want it to be. I kind of like putting it on at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, Temperanceville. Ha. Ha. God. So it was annexed to the city of Pittsburgh in 1872, and that is when it officially became known as the West End. Mm-hmm. Number four. In 1819, William Killymoon Stewart built an inn and tavern in this neighborhood that serviced both travelers and locals enjoying pleasant drives in the country. Well, one of them, one of these answers has to be Squirrel Hill, right? Let's go for it. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. You are correct. <laughs> William Killymoon Stewart made his way to Squirrel Hill in 1819 and bought up some property above Nine Mile Run Valley. And so, as we were saying, he did, in fact, then build an inn there where travelers could, of course, find refreshment. They could stay overnight. And as we were saying, so this is people coming from both far and near. And apparently over the bar, (laughs) there was a sign that said, here nothing grows old but whiskey, men, and jokes. Hmm. That's fun. Uh, Yeah. And it was around for quite some time. And actually the last owner of the inn was Stewart's reclusive great-grandson, William Birchfield. So it lasted until 1949. So we're going 1819 and 1949. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Um, but it was torn down to construct the Beechwood Gardens apartment complex, which is at 3245 Beechwood Boulevard. So that's exactly where it was. There you go. There it is. There it is. Giving people some refreshment and some rest. Yeah, a not-so-silent age in Beechwood. Oh, this is just going to keep going, isn't it? Uh, oh, let, let's just see what happens. I mean, let's go for a fifth. Sure. The Old Stone Inn, located in this neighborhood, is one of the oldest buildings in Pittsburgh. West End. Correct. <laughs> that yeah, that's how you finish strong there, Don. Sure. Yeah. So it is true. Uh, it's right there. So the address of it is actually four three four Green Tree Road. Are you familiar? Like, do you think? Do you think you've seen it there in the West End? Um. Perhaps. Perhaps. Yeah, I didn't know if maybe you like remembered. Like, oh right, that old building is there. So. <laughs> You know, because that's how you think. That's that's my inner voice. That is. Um, So apparently, here's the thing. The date, 1752, is chiseled into a cornerstone. However, evidence actually points to the fact that it probably was constructed in the early 1780s. So there's a mystery there as to why what's chiseled there isn't actually when it was built. But either way, it is still considered one of the oldest probably the second oldest building in Pittsburgh behind the Fort Pitt Blockhouse, 
which is at the point which was built in 1764. So you know, I think know, I've I've seen that old building, Tressa. Ahem. Okay, so here's the thing. So this inn is believed anyway that it served as a toll house and a frontier trading post because where it was located, like I said, it said address on Green Tree Road, um, but it was on a trail that eventually became Washington Pike, which connected Pittsburgh to the National Road, which of course went across the young and growing nation. So it's believed that there was a toll house there and also that it played a role in the Whiskey Rebellion of the late 18th century indeed because they found an accounts ledger from the late 1790s um and they actually have name you know they have found names in this ledger for example they identified 109 veterans of the American Revolution 89 partisans in the whiskey rebellion and 16 veterans of the war of 1812 and it's said that one of these folks was John Woods whose occupation was listed as a spy <laughs> in the ledger which is confusing because I'm thinking sure. he shouldn't write that in there if you're a spy you don't want to be on the books that in the ledger like you're literally on the books literally so that's a little confusing Don this has been a joy uh, it's it's been quite a pleasure mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I think you did well you had five questions we're back to five uh, you know Three out of five. It ain't bad. I'll take it. (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome. And on that note, we are going to wrap this episode number 23. A huge thanks again to Tiffany S. Ward of the Pittsburgh Village Project, PGH Village Project. Dot org, And to all of you for listening, thank you. I really do appreciate it. I love that you're joining us. And please do share your stories with us as well. 1-833-399-GOOD or yinsaregood at gmail.com. You know we want to hear from you. So until next time, my friends, be safe, be kind, be good. Special thank yous to Abby and Julia from the Bloomfield Saturday Markets, Don DiGiulio, and as always for our most incredible artwork, Mike Rabino. <laughs> <laughs>